Then God paused and looked at his creation again. And the only thing that God said was not good was for man to be alone. And so what happened was God knocked Adam out cold and Adam went to sleep. And God did some surgery on Adam and extracted a rib out of Adam and in return gave Adam Eve. Now the first word that Adam, when he woke up, the first thing that he said was, Wow, man. After all, she was naked. And everything was perfect. Mankind was the centerpiece of God's masterpiece. And God said, this is very good. But then man sinned. And what happened is it caused man's work on the ground to become a lot harder. And the woman increased in her pain of childbirth. And ultimately sin separated mankind and God away from each other. Now there is this chasm. Now there is this gap. The close relationship that they once had when God was walking in the afternoon with them is now severed. It is no more. And what happened was God had to cast Adam and Eve away from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because God is a holy being and he could not stand sin. But God was still very gracious to this couple. Instead of leaving them naked, he actually made clothes for them to cover their shame. Then Adam and Eve got to know each other, the Bible says. In other words, they had sex. And Eve became pregnant. And she gave birth to a boy named Cain. And after the woods, Cain also had a brother, and his name was Abel. Now this is a story of two brothers. Now before we dive further into the story of these two brothers, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are here. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be moving around this place to soften our hearts, Lord, for us to be able to understand this passage and Lord, help us to see your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're in verse 3. In the course of time, as these two boys would have grown up, Cain bought some of the first no, Cain bought some of the fruits of his soil to offer to the Lord. But Abel bought the fat portion for some of his from some of his firstborn flock. Now what we have here is two worshippers. One is a farmer that, that looks after crops, and one is a herder. He looks after flocks. Now, what happened was God accepted one worshiper's offering and rejected the other. Now, he rejected Cain. Have you ever stopped and wondered why did God reject Cain? Now, some say you can use this passage to prove vegans wrong. <laughs> because God likes the meat and no one makes friends with salad. No, no, that's, you can't use that. <laughs> Don't do that. Because later on, we read in the Old Testament is God does accept animal sacrifices and he also accepts grain offering. So no, no, this is, God isn't against vegetarians and vegans. He, he loves you guys as well. So what's going on here? Why did he get rejected? Now, if you look at this passage, essentially what screams out at me is the quality of their gifts, the quality of their offering. Abel here gave the fatty portion, the best, which is the best part of the animal, that when you burn it, it smells the best. And he also took the very 
firstborn of his flock, and he gave it to the Lord. And with Cain, there was no mentioning of first fruits at all. He just said, oh, he picked some fruits and he gave it to the Lord. One was a thoughtful gift and one was a thoughtless gift. And so church, what do you give God? Is it thoughtful or thoughtless? Do you give the best to your God? Now in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11 verse 4, we also get a glimpse of what happens in this situation here. And it says, By faith, by faith, Abel brought to God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Abel was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. So it suggests to us that one offering was faith with faith and one was faithless. Now, in the Old Testament, if you know your Bibles well, the first fruit or the firstborn offering, it, it is an offering of faith. So let's say I'm a farmer right now and I grew an apple tree. And the very first fruit that comes out of apple tree, it's called the first fruit, and I gave it to the Lord. Why? Because I have faith that God will bring the second and third branch. Now, that's the same thing with the, the lamb. So if, if I just had like, you know, two animals and they just had you know, a lamb, it will be by faith that I'll give that to the Lord because I know that God is going to bring the second and third type of litter. Now, one offering was with faith and the other one was faithless. So when Cain offers this faithless, thoughtless offering, what happened? Of course, it'd be rejected. And look what happened. He becomes angry and his face becomes downcast. Now, who is he angry with? It's definitely not himself. Was it with God or was it with his brother? He is angry at his brother because, you know, sometimes that's what happens when we get jealous of our sibling. I have a younger brother and sometimes when he beats me in games, I kind of get really angry for him just beating me. I just, I just don't know why. It's kind of in human nature to be angry at your brother. <laughs> And want to throw the control at him. I don't know if it's happened to you, but it happens to me. And so, church, I think he was angry with his brother. Why? Because if you read further on, we find out what exactly happens to your brother. He does something horrible to his brother. And so, church, I want to just pause here and give you a little warning. Just when you see someone else is more blessed, more favored than you, don't conjure up this feeling of jealousy, of, of envy. It's not a good feeling. Maybe you don't even know that you're jealous or angry with them. How would you know? Do you avoid them? Man, this guy's so holy. Man, he just, his life's just so happy-go-lucky. And when I'm around him, he's just always smiling. And it makes me seem miserable. My life is horrible. Do you feel that? If you're avoiding them. Or do you criticize them and minimize them? Because they're just doing so great in ministry that you're so jealous that you say, oh, but he did this wrong and he did that wrong or she did that wrong or she did this wrong. Do you do that? No, rather let us, Oikos Church, be a church that rejoices when our brothers and sisters do better than us. Let's do that, church. So when God saw that Cain was unhappy, his face was downcast, God, look at how patient God was. God says, Cain, 
I'll give you another shot here. If you do what is right, won't I also accept your offering? And I think somewhere along the lines in, in that little timeline, God already hinted to Cain and Abel what exactly what he wanted. Do what is right. So there is ways to do it wrong. So God's probably already told them what is the right way to do it. And Cain is, still did it wrong. That's why his offering was rejected. This is what you call self-imposed worship. Sometimes we come to church with a self-imposed worship rather than to worship God the way that He wants to be worshipped. So let, for example, for those of you who come chronically late, don't think that, oh, I made it to the last song. It's okay. I still made it to the last song. God will be okay with this. You think that is a thoughtful, faithful gift to God type of worship? No. You know, you, you do, you're not late for your bus stop. You're not late for that movie. You're not late for that, that footy match. You're not late for work. But you think coming to church late is, is okay? Or I come to church, but I don't want to serve. Oh God, you know that I am saving up for something. And so tithing... Oh, forget about that. Here's, here's a few bucks. Do you think God is pleased with that type of worship? When God already instructed us, He wants His worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. Do we do that? And you know what? Another thing that screams out at me is it reminds me of the New Testament when Jesus speaks about the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verses 23 to 24. God says, if you are offering a gift at the altar, but remember that you have some, some argument with your brother, you know what? Leave that gift at the altar and go back to your brother and reconcile with them and then come back and worship me. So church, do you have anyone that you are in strife with? Do you bear grudges? There is no point coming to church and singing hallelujah for 15 minutes, but then from the Monday to Saturday, you live your life like God is not there. Do you think He will accept that worship? God always have been looking at the heart of His worshipers. He will never separate the worship from the worshiper. He will never separate the gifts from the giver. So if your heart is not right, he won't even look at your gift. Cain's heart was obviously not in the right place here. Now look at how he responds when his offering is rejected. Now when human sin is exposed, there's really two ways that they can go about it. One is to go, oh man, oh, I got that wrong, done it, I messed up, I'm going to get it right. Or two, you become angry. You become angry at me for, for saying these things. And you'd probably be saying, Dexter, you just don't understand. You don't understand that this and this happened. Your ears become shut and your hearts become hardened. Why? Because you're just trying to justify yourself. And God says to Cain, Cain, if you do what is right, I will also accept your offering. Cain, let's try again. Let's, let's get this right. But if you don't, look at verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you have to master over it. 
Now, don't skim over verse 7 because verse 7 is very a, a vivid picture of what sin is like. And God gives us this clear warning that sin is crouching. Now, that phrase alone, it conjures up for us this, this image of a lion that is ready to pounce. Now, who here has seen a lion before? Know what a lion is? You guys are all lying if you're not raising up your hand. It's either on... The, at the zoo, on the Discovery Channel, uh, if you've seen one live, lucky you, I haven't. But have you seen a lion? You know exactly how fast and how powerful that they are. Now, if there was a lion staring at you, what would you do? Like if it's right here, it just comes in the door and it was roaring and it's right there. What would we do? We'll probably be thinking as long as I outrun all these suckers. <laughs> we'll run. But how many of us treat sin differently? Oh, it's just, it's just crouching. It's doing nothing, you know? But when it's crouching, you know what it's ready to do? It's ready to attack. When it's crouching, have you seen the crouching tiger, lion <laughs> before? What it's doing, it's making itself smaller. It's trying to make itself unnoticed. It's trying to make you don't pay attention to it. It's trying to, to minimize itself or you to ignore it. And it patiently waits until you let your guard down before it pounces on you. That's what sin does. And look at how God describes how close sin is. It's not in your imagination. It's just not somewhere in, in Africa. No, no, it is crouching. How close is it? At your door. It's very close. It's not too far away. And we as humans, we have this tendency to underestimate this monster called sin. We, we underestimate its destructive power. And look at what happens when Cain opens that door for that beast. Verse 8. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, they go, let's, let's go out in the field. Oh, what's there? What are we doing? Oh, there's bubble tea for you. That would probably get me straight away. Oh, what else are we doing? I don't know. We're going to play Nintendo Switch. Oh, are you going to be Mario and I'm Luigi? No, no, we're going to play Smash Bros. <laughs> and what happened was Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, many people... We imagine this in their head, that Cain picked up a rock or something and he hit his brother Abel and killed him. But no, the, you probably got that image from Sunday school or the Hollywood movies, but the phrase here in this verse, in the original language, was it suggested Cain slayed his brother. So in other words, he slit his brother's throat and he drained that blood out like a sacrifice. That's what Cain did. That's how vicious he was. So it wasn't one hit and like, oh, what did I do? No, it was slit the throat and drain the blood out. How long would that take? He's, he's probably enjoying it. And look at verse 9. God then said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now, God knew exactly where Abel was, but this was just a statement from God and a chance for Cain to come clean. But look how shameless and unremorseful Cain is. Oh, I don't know. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Now, in this generation, we call that sass. We call that attitude. We call that sarcasm. And then the Lord said, What have you done? What have you done, Cain? Listen, listen, listen to your brother's blood that cries out from the ground. Now, if you ever watch crime shows, I've watched quite a few. There's, if you ever watch Law and Order, CSI, Sherlock Holmes, Detective Conan, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, whatever type of crime show that you've watched, it fascinates me how they get to the bottom of the crime. And often... Sometimes in some episodes, it's related to blood. Now, what the forensics do is they will look at the blood, and the blood would actually give them a lot of information, like how far did the blood splatter along the wall. It would tell you the force that was used and the weapon that was used, or how fresh the blood was would tell you when exactly the victim died, or if that blood belongs to the victim at all on the murder weapon. I'm saying all that to you is because I want to say this to you. Blood talks. Blood talks. And God heard the blood that was talking, crying out from the ground. And it reaches to the heaven and God is a just God that he could not turn his ear from an innocent man's blood that was spilt. And God couldn't ignore this cry. And so God says, Cain, Cain, listen. Listen to what it's crying out. Justice, God retribution, God, vengeance, God, wrath, God. His blood of an innocent man is crying out to me. Can you hear it? Cain couldn't hear that, but God could. Now what happens to Cain is the rest of the, chapter, the, rest of the passage, we see that he gets put under this curse, under this mark called the mark of Cain. And what happens is now when he works on the field, it would not produce crops for him. So he just lost his livelihood. He now also becomes a restless wanderer where he will have no place to call home. In verse 16, it says Cain was then banished to the land of Nod. Now the, the word Nod means the land of wandering. So in other words, he has no more home. He now just wanders around aimlessly and lost. And then Cain says, My punishment is more than I can bear, Lord, driving me away from this land, no home, and, and no, none of your presence around, what, no, none of your protection. What if people find me? They would kill me. Church, this is what sin does. This is what sin does to you once you open that door, once you underestimate it, once you think, oh, it's just crouching there doing nothing, once you think, oh, it's pretty far away, oh, it's, it's only that click, oh, it, it's only a, a little white lie, oh, the government don't care if I, if I cheat this tax, or it will only bring about death and despair. And it would actually bring you further away from your living God. It would destroy the relationships that you have. It destroyed Cain's relationship with his brother, mother, father, and with God himself. And so what happened was Cain was actually further removed from God's presence. And God still loved Cain, still puts a mark on Cain, a mark of protection on Cain, so that whoever hurts him will be repaid really bad. Seven times worse.
And when we read this passage, some of us really side with, with Abel. And some of us may, may be yelling, maybe thinking, God, God, what's the deal? That, that's not fair. A life for a life. He doesn't deserve your protection. He deserved to die. He deserves this. Why are you giving it? Why are you being so lenient with him? Now, all of us have this. All of us have this innate cry of justice crying out of us. That's, that's justice crying out of you. You want things to be fair. God, this, this isn't fair. Why are you looking after this sinner? Why? Because sometimes when we read passages like this, we view ourselves as the victim. We, we sympathize with the victim. Poor Abel, he didn't do anything and his brother murdered him and killed him. Now if you view yourself as Abel, maybe because the church has once really hurt you, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the times when your brothers and sisters have said something behind your back and, and just really hurt you. I am, as your pastor, I say sorry to you. But I want you to see the story from another light where maybe you're not able. In light of the cross. Why? Because Jesus is the better able. Jesus is able to do what Abel could not do. And what does that make us? Who does that make us? If Jesus is able, it would make us king. Now, some of you will probably be wondering, wait, 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 Dexter, I haven't killed anyone. But Jesus says, whoever even hates his brother or becomes angry or even thought of it has already committed murder in his heart. Why we came for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all rebelled. We have all become enemies of God. Like Cain, we have brought offering and it was unacceptable. Even though how good our deeds, how good our works, how good our efforts, how good our merits, you know what? It was not good enough. Why? Because God sees but when Christ offers his offering, living a life that is perfect and holy from the day that he went into the flesh into the day of the cross, even during the baptism of, of Jesus, God says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Cain, he grew angry and his face was downcast. So was the people in Jesus' time. They became angry and they became downcast. And they time and time again tried to trap Jesus. Time and time again plotted to kill Him. And they conjured up this plan and this motion in the form of a cross. Now my job as your pastor is to tell you the meaning of a cross. Not a cross that hangs around someone's neck or on someone's wall, but the cross of Christ, the blooded, rugged, blood-stained cross. And people may have negative reactions to this cross. Why? Because it's the truth. And even if they can't handle the truth, I'm still going to give them the truth. Why? Because the cross does not suggest, it actually demands repentance. But everyone 
still needs to be confronted by this message. It is a confrontation that all of us must face. That we are Cain. That we are Cain. Yet God still loves us, that He sent His boy down to die for you and to forgive you of all your sins. Now the cross is offensive. Why? Because it confronts people. And as I look down here, who do I see? I see you as the very objects of God's love. And there are people down here that you know I love you very much. And God loves you. God loves you. For His boy to endure that mocking, that torturing. We deserve the cross. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. We were the one that opened that door. We were the one that let sin and death master over us. But there's good news. Our Christ has come. Our Christ has come to pay the cost. But what was the cost? Now, Abel, he had no clue when he was walking out on that field. But Jesus, he had, he knew everything as he walked on that path of Golgotha, on that path to Calvary. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But he was still like a lamb silent to its slaughter. The perfect, blemished, holy lamb of God. As the Romans beat him, whipped him, as they drove nails into his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns on his head, he still cries out on the cross that they nailed him to, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I want you to see what the, the writer of Hebrew writes in Hebrews 12, verse 24. It says this. And if you let this sink into your life, this will transform your life. The author writes, You have a Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant, And His sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know what? Christ didn't just cry for you on the cross. Father, forgive them. Do you know, as His blood spilt on the ground, it eternally continues to cry out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. What I didn't tell you was that there was another lion. A lion that's not here to harm you, but to save you. As the blood of Abel cries out, vengeance, retribution, wrath, revenge. There was another lion roaring to the heavens, a different word, a different sound. As God hears, justice. There was a louder voice that says, mercy. As God hears, retribution. God also hears redemption. When God hears vengeance, God also hears forgiveness. And when God hears wrath, He also hears grace. We all bore the mark of Cain, but through the marks of Jesus, we now bore a different mark. And the writer Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 13, he says this, And you also are included in Christ when you heard the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Do you know what happens when Christ came? We are no longer wanderers. We are no longer have to stay away from the presence of God. This gap, this chasm, this it has been bridged by the death of Christ. There is no longer any war that is separating us from God and us. And when God sends Jesus down, what was Christ doing? Cain, because of his sin, was was sent further away. But when Jesus comes, Christ came and searched for you and I to bring us where? To bring us home. Welcome home, church. God bless you.